Deadbeat Scroll by Mark Coggins is slick, sardonic, and suspenseful. Everything a great thriller should be, says New York Times bestselling author Lee Child. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 9. Carlos G's. The elaborate undergarment beneath Angelina's dress proved to be a black satin corset. It was draped over the headboard like discarded armor when I slipped from the room at 7 a.m., Angelina acknowledging my departure with a drowsy two-finger wave. Rain persuaded me to loiter under the hotel awning before starting the walk home and loitering gave me time to notice the figure leaning against a lamppost directly across the street in Huntington Park. He or she was slight and wearing a hoodie zipped tightly around the face, and in spite of standing unshielded in a city park at 7.30 in the morning, the person did not give the impression of being homeless. I ducked back into the hotel to borrow an umbrella from the reception desk, When I returned, the figure was gone, but caution, intuition, or barometric pressure made me turn right onto California Street to head away from the Post Street apartment. I walked past the Crocker Garage, the Mark Hopkins Hotel, and the Stanford Court Hotel, which together with the Huntington Hotel provided the namesakes for all the big four robber barons who built the Transcontinental Railway and pulled up short at Powell Street. A groaning charter bus full of gamblers heading to Reno was attempting to negotiate the sharp right turn onto Powell, in spite of the sign prohibiting commercial vehicles over three tons. As it wallowed in the intersection, partway on the Powell Street cable car tracks and partway on the sidewalk, I got a clear look at my reflection in its tinted windows. Behind that reflection, ambling splay-footed up the sidewalk, was my friend in the hoodie. I was fairly certain now that he was male, and for a heart-stopping moment, I was seized with the irrational notion that he was Chris come back to life. He had the same delicate features and the same slender build, but he was taller and lacked Chris's quicksilver movements. Chris's Doppelinger or not, I couldn't help but wonder why he was following me around San Francisco. I dodged past the nose of the still-struggling bus and hurried down Powell towards Union Square. The rain came harder now, and the slick pavement, combined with the steep grade of the street, made the footing tricky. A clanging cable car passed me, a smell of scorched pine trailing in its wake as the car's wooden brakes worked to find purchase on the rain-soaked track. A red light stopped me at Bush Street, and as I stood waiting next to an art student carrying an outsized portfolio— I resisted the temptation to look behind me. Just past Sutter, I darted across the roadway and hurried past a doorman in Beefeater livery at the door of the Sir Francis Drake Hotel. I went up the entrance steps and ducked behind one of the marble columns in front of the lobby bar. A moment later, my pursuer jogged up the same steps and stood dripping and bewildered on the Rococo carpet, 
one hand resting on the back of an overstuffed love seat. I tossed the umbrella aside and stepped out from behind the column to grab the sleeve of his hoodie. It's really pissing down, isn't it? I said genially. He flinched and tried to pull away, but I reeled him back in. Seeing him up close, my earlier impression of androgyny was confirmed, even amplified. The skin of his face was smooth and soft, and I was pretty sure he was wearing eyeliner. What do you want? he said, straining to keep his voice under control. If you're granting wishes, I'll take a bottle of Glenlivet. That's not funny. Neither is following me around. Why are you doing it? He looked down at his shoes, a pair of slip-on sneakers, and pursed his lips. Let's try a different question. Why were you watching the hotel? That got his attention. He snapped his gaze up. Just leave her the fuck alone, old man. I was shifting through my vast catalog of clever rejoinders when he yanked down the zipper to his hoodie. He shucked off the garment, half dove, half rolled over the back of the love seat, and lurched towards the bank of superannuated elevators on the far side of the lobby. I gave chase, but he slid through the closing doors of an ascending car before I could nab him. I watched as the arrow on the floor indicator paused at five, then continued upward. There didn't seem to be any point in going after him. I wouldn't know what floor he got out on or how he would come down. At least I'd learned one thing. He knew Angelina, and he didn't appreciate this old man spending the night with her. I checked the pockets of his hoodies, found nothing, and draped it on the back of the love seat. I retrieved the umbrella and covered the half-mile back to my old apartment in less than ten minutes. There I learned yet another thing. Someone had searched it. Nothing had been terribly disturbed, but no one could replicate Chris's precise alignment. Even his alphabetized collection of Broadway playbills had been rifled. But who was doing the searching, what they were looking for, and whether they had found it were not part of my newfound knowledge. By 10.30 the rain had stopped, and I was once again standing at the mouth of Russell Street. I had gotten there via a zigzag route involving a bus, a cab, and plain old shoe leather, and I was confident that no one had followed me. In my pocket was Corrine White's keyring, and my plan was to canvas her neighborhood to determine if anyone knew the address of the place she was staying while she remodeled her house. In my experience, people home during the day were more likely to have useful information and were more likely to come to the door to receive packages. In spite of that, it didn't go well. Only two answered my ring. The first slammed the door shut before I'd even introduced myself. The second was a young dude in flannel and a woolen cap who sported an extravagantly oiled beard that smelled like cedar from three feet away. He was happy to talk. He was happy to talk about the apps on his iPhone, craft beer, and his latest post on something called Medium, but he didn't know Corinne White, didn't even realize a house on the street was being renovated. My next idea was to ask some of the local shopkeepers. The obvious place to begin was the Searchlight Market, the small grocery store a half block away at the corner of Union and Hyde. I waited in line behind three customers to talk to the checker, only to be told that she had started last week and didn't know any of the regulars. 
I was losing steam fast, but I decided to make one last push with the shopkeeper idea. The only problem was deciding which shops to target. If I went west on Union, I'd run into North Beach's vast assortment of cafes, restaurants, delis, and clothing boutiques. If I went east, I'd find myself in the smaller retail district along Polk Street. In the end, I chose Polk because it was closer and easier. I half walked, half jogged down the steep two-block grade to Polk. When I reached the retail district, I realized that fewer shops didn't necessarily mean few shops. A hardware store, a dry cleaner, a hairdresser, a coffee shop, and a United Nations of Ethnic Restaurants were all within steps of where I was standing. I had just about determined to make my selection by spinning the empty bottle of MD-2020 lying in the gutter beside me when it struck me that there might be a way to apply a little method to my madness. I was looking for a shopkeeper who'd become friendly with Corinne, who knew her well enough that Corinne had told him or her about the house remodel and the fact that she was living somewhere else temporarily. And come to think of it, if she was living in another neighborhood, why would she even come back to this one to shop? She would only do so if she had an ongoing relationship with a store. The dry cleaners might fit the bill, but it wasn't exactly the sort of place where you made friends and shared confidences with the staff. I decided the only business that might engender loyalty and shared confidences was a hairdresser, Carlos G's. It was a tiny place sandwiched between the coffee shop and a Vietnamese restaurant. Inside were two chairs, a sink for washing hair, and a closet with a sliding curtain across it. The floor was concrete, but someone had painted an elaborate compass design on it, and that and the rusty iron sconces gave off a shabby chic vibe. Standing on the east compass point was a chubby 50-something man with slick back hair going gray at the temples. He looked a little like an aging Clark Gable, sans the big ears. May I help you? He said a bit standoffishly. I probably didn't fit his usual customer profile. I sure hope so, I said. My friend Corinne recommended someone on Polk to get my hair cut. I don't remember the name of the place, though. Are you the only shop in the neighborhood? He laughed. Corinne White? She better recommend me. I've been doing her hair for years. Yes, Corinne White, I said, then hesitated. That was my undoing. He didn't miss a beat. Grabbing a sort of flimsy half-robe from a hanger, he said, I can take you right now. My first scheduled appointment isn't until noon. Use a dressing room to change into this smock. I'd never worn a smock in my life, much less change into one behind a curtain while another man waited on the other side. But I did it. He'd called my bluff, and I doubted that admitting Corinne was dead would earn his cooperation now. After he washed my hair and got me situated in the chair, he leaned down to tug at the tufts on either side of my head. Ah, uh, if you don't mind my asking, who cut your hair last? My neighbor Ray, my retired 83-year-old neighbor who had used a pair of dime store scissors. I see. And how are you wanting it cut today? Oh, just the same. I watched him grimace in the mirror. Kidding. However you think is best. Something that's in style. I know just the cut. 
shorter on the sides, and most especially even on the sides, with some weight on top, about four inches over the crown in the front. It's the new look Brad Pitt is rocking since he broke up with Angelina. If there's anyone whose look I'd like to rock, it's Brad Pitt's. He nodded and began snipping away. He was a regular chatterbox. He raved about what a stunning woman Angelina Jolie was. He enthused over an exhibition of Cartier jewelry he'd seen at the Legion of Honor, and he gave me tips on restaurants and current movies. He finished the main assault with the scissors and began mopping up with an electric trimmer, and I still hadn't managed to reintroduce Corrine White to the conversation. But he saved me the trouble. And how do you know Corinne? he asked. I decided the truth, or at least a half-truth, was best. I met her through her sister. Is she from Canada? That's right. Corinne said she was from there originally. Angelina, that's the sister's name, came down to visit. Wonderful. I gather she's not staying with Corinne because of the remodel. No, Angelina is at a hotel. I did hear something about a remodel. Corinne is redoing her house? He set the clippers down and combed his fingers through my hair. I think that's about it. Very nice. A little product to hold it in place? Normally, product would have been the last thing in the world I would want in my hair, but I didn't want to break the spell. If it's good enough for Brad, absolutely. Carlos reached for a jar of gooey stuff and got a big glob on his fingers. Yes, Corinne is doing a complete remodel, he said as he massaged in the goop. She took the house all the way down to the studs, but she used to be an architect, so she knows what she's doing. And she had to move out while the construction is underway? Right. She's subletting a one-bedroom apartment in lower Pacific Heights. It's a big old Victorian. She told me she always wanted to live in a real Victorian. This is her chance. For a little while, at least. He finished slicking back my hair and wiped his hands on a towel. Then he picked up a hand mirror and passed it to me. Have a look in back. I held the mirror to check my neckline while he rotated the chair. Perfect. Much better than my neighbor's work. He chuckled. That was a low bar, I'm afraid. You said Corinne's Victorian is in Lower Pacific Heights. Whereabouts? I used to live around there. It's near the corner of Clay and Broderick. It even has a garage, which is unusual for a Victorian. She says the driveway is scary steep, though. I nodded while he removed the cloth he draped over my shoulders. Then I went back to the dressing room to ditch the smock. When I got out, I paid him a sum three times higher than I'd ever paid for a haircut, with a healthy tip. He'd earned it. I was halfway out the door when he called me back. He had one more surprise up his sleeve. Say, you don't know Corinne White's friend Chris, do you? She also sent him here for a haircut. There were only four Victorians in the immediate vicinity of Clay and Broderick. One didn't have a garage. One was clearly a duplex with a separate entrance for each flat, and one had a driveway with hardly any slope at all. The remaining one had a frighteningly steep driveway leading to a garage below the living space. I went up an equally steep brick stair to get to the front door. 
White was written on a small piece of paper taped to the mailbox for apartment number three. The other mailboxes had embossed labels suggesting more permanence. All doubt vanished when the first key on Corinne's ring turned the lock easily. The interior was dim despite the canary-yellow walls and the ornate chandelier in the entryway. I paused, listening for sounds of tenants, but heard only the rumble of a passing delivery truck. I crept down a spongy hallway runner to confirm that neither of the apartments on the first floor was the one I wanted, then doubled back to climb the Baroque walnut stair to the next floor. Apartment number three was to the left behind the landing. I used the other house key on the ring to open the door and slipped inside. If the signs that Chris's apartment had been searched were subtle, the same could not be said for Corinne White's. It looked like an airplane crash site. You have been listening to The Deadbeat Scroll, a book the New York Journal of Books described as a glorious potpourri of violence, black humor, sex, and a hunt for a lost manuscript. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. <laughs>